Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. I hope everybody's doing all right today. Appreciate everybody being here. It's good to have some people back. It's good to have visitors, and it's good to see everyone. Today is a day that uh, certainly the world and our country is celebrating. It's Halloween. You'll be seeing lots of little children, perhaps, walking around the streets, maybe wearing masks, dressed up as a princess or a ghost or something like that. Remembering that the entire intent, at least when I was a kid, was to get as much candy as possible. So instead of focusing on holidays, could have had a talk about holidays, observing holidays or not, and how we live with each other when we have some people that do celebrate them and some that don't. I thought we would look a little deeper at the idea of evil as it comes up. Since we may think about some evil things out in the world today with Halloween. So what does the Bible say about evil? Take a look with me here for a few minutes. There are a lot of bad things in the world. A lot of bad things in the world. Some of the bad things in the world are purely imaginary, such as this crazy clown here. Now that's what you typically see when you look at children as they're running around trying to get candies. And I'm afraid... Uh, about evil. I'm afraid that many of the things that we seem to be the most fearful of are in fact imaginary. You know, if you think about what people are afraid of, I mean, some people seem to get all frightened about, I don't know, werewolves or vampires or zombies. Uh, and, you know, so much of what shows up in scary movies or that people seem to be afraid of isn't real. It's imaginary. And I wonder sometimes, is that almost a diversionary tactic? That if I think that evil is merely these imaginary things, then we won't focus on perhaps some of the more real evils that have shown up in the world in the past. And that, of course, is Adolf Hitler. I decided to go that far in the past, and that way there wouldn't be any political discussions over perhaps those that some might have thought pretty evil and more recently than that. But I don't think anybody's going to say, no, Hitler was a good guy. So some of this stuff is uh, imaginary and some is real. We tend to know evil when we see it. We tend to know evil when we see it. But I want to ask this morning, what does the Bible say about it? So let's take a look at evil in the Bible. The first place I want to start is with the knowledge of good and evil. Thurl had read from Genesis 6 a few moments ago, but before we get to Genesis 6, all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, when God had put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we read that uh, out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, I've often wondered about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm not certain that there actually is a tree, the tree, let me back up. I'm not certain the tree itself was so much the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the interaction with the tree, right? Because Adam and Eve become aware of good and evil when they're told not to eat from this tree and they do it anyway. So it's almost as if the consequences of this tree bring the knowledge of good and evil when they realize we've done something we shouldn't have done. So this tree 
may very well have been, who knows, could have been uh, an apple tree, a peach tree, whatever it is. But by designating this tree as God does, don't eat from it. When they eat from it anyway, then they suddenly have the knowledge of having done something good and evil. So I don't know that particularly God made a specific knowledge of good and evil tree that had leaves different from any other tree on the face of the earth. I really think likely, it always has seemed to me, and this is my opinion, that the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is set aside because it's the one thing, the one thing God told Adam and Eve not to do. And in doing it, they become aware of good and evil in terms of having violated what God told them to do. I hope that makes sense. Uh, otherwise, I don't know what kind of leaves this tree would have had because it would seem to be unique in human history if it's a specific different kind of tree. And then later on in Genesis 2, after God had created all the trees and he put Adam and Eve there, he tells them, out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this tree is set aside as the one giant no that God puts on them. There really weren't any other no's. And what happens when you put a no from the human perspective? Every single one of us eventually does it anyway. That's what we, in talking about things, refer to as sin because we knowingly decide to do what we want to do no matter what God has said. And every single one of us are just as guilty of sin as Adam and Eve were. I mean, Adam and Eve may have been the first, but they certainly have not been in any way vastly different from each of us. The knowledge of good and evil comes in so many ways to each of us when we, for that first time, really seem aware of knowing we really shouldn't do this and we do it anyway. I'm not talking about the three-year-old that after being told, don't eat the cookie, eats it anyway, right? The three-year-old is really not capable of knowing and understanding, but someplace between a three-year-old and a 30-year-old, right? Everybody eventually gets to the point where we really understand, I really shouldn't do this, and we, to some extent or other, at some point, decide to do it anyway. Then in Genesis 3, 5, the snake, the serpent, speaking to uh, Eve. And the Bible sure seems to indicate that her husband was with her when you look at it. Uh, we often tend to have Eve over here by herself. But if you read Genesis chapter 3, the first reference to Adam appears along with Eve. And so that's a discussion for another day. But the serpent speaking says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, the reason the eyes of humanity were going to be opened is because they would, for the first time, realize I had done something I was told not to do. And that leads to understanding doing things that were allowed to do and then doing things that were against what I was told to do. And that truly brings that knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God said once, uh, the commentary occurs here where the recognition of Adam and Eve's idea, uh, actions have occurred. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man, which is also referring to Eve, humanity, has become like one of us to know good and evil. We know good and evil through sin. That's really what good and evil are all about. 
if an action is not sinful, uh, I really think you should be able to classify it as certainly good. It's not evil in any way if it's not sinful. Let's pick up with what uh, Thurl read earlier. Uh, sometime later in the history of humanity, God looked down upon the earth and said, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man, and it wasn't just those that were male, the wickedness of humanity, the wickedness of the people he had created was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I really suspect this is to, to some extent or other uh, some sort of an exaggeration because there's bound to have been a mom that took care of the little baby that was not in some way an evil thought here. But the point is, is that man had become so confused with what right and wrong were that it seems as if they don't really care what good is all about. Make sure everybody understands what I'm talking about there. The mama burping the baby is certainly not doing something evil in that moment. And so the thought of taking care of the baby certainly would not be every intent. This, this is the extreme. God is looking at humanity and there is essentially no good on the earth, certainly to see what God wants. So that, I think, certainly falls into line here. Over in Genesis 8, verse 21, And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although, even though, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So after God wipes the earth clean, except for what had been with Noah, right? After God wipes out humanity where every imagination of the heart had been evil, where those that were living upon the earth had not been following after God, God says, I will never again do that, even though, notice it hasn't changed. He says this after humanity has been essentially wiped off the earth, except for Noah and his family. And he says, even though, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, that is always the problem. When we reach the age where we can evaluate the, the pros and cons, the good and the evil of our actions, when we reach some sort of an age in our youth, again, not the three-year-old, but somewhere between a three-year-old and a 30-year-old, we all get to the point where we have the opportunity to say no to something that's evil, and we don't. That's what God is referring about. Even though every single person who ever lives then and into the future will all reach a point where they have a choice to make. And the choice is going to get made by every single person who's ever lived choose wrong other than one person. And that one person is Jesus. So with Jesus as the exception, since God said this all the way back in Genesis 8, every single person who has ever lived has decided to do what they want to do. What's causing the presence of evil in our lives and in the world? Choosing to do what we want to do. Choosing to do something God does not want us to do. Choosing to do something that is sinful. The imagination of man's heart. It starts in the heart and then gets expressed in action.
Let's look at the example of Joseph. Still in the book of Genesis, over in Genesis chapter 50. Uh, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. The whole story of Joseph, a lot more than we can really take the time to get into today. He had been sold into slavery by his brothers who had been jealous of the attention Joseph received from their father. And they faked Joseph's death to their father after Joseph had been carried off, sold into slavery into Egypt. They thought, deed's done. We'll never hear from that individual again. We'll never hear from Joseph again. He really is as good as dead because he's off in slavery somewhere down toward Egypt. Well, what happened in the meantime, he had had a lot of bad things happen to him. Joseph had. He had gone into service in the house of Potiphar. He had been accused falsely of engaging in some actions for which he had, was innocent, put into prison for a number of years, and then eventually taken out of prison, and a lot of good things started happening to Joseph. Became third in the land, became very, very um, important in the land of Egypt, and helped Egypt and the rest of the world survive through a famine. It is that famine that has brought Joseph's brothers down to Egypt here in Genesis chapter 50. And they are terrified when they realize that's our brother that we sold into Egypt. We are about to really experience something bad here because he's real powerful now and he can do to us whatever he wants to do after we have been so evil to him. And so they're really saying, please, please tell our brother we are so sorry now. We're so sorry now for what we did to you. Please forgive them for the evil they have done to you. Look at Joseph's response. But as for you, this is Joseph speaking now in chapter 50, verse 20. You meant evil against me. Yes, they did. They did mean evil against Joseph. They really didn't like Joseph. And so they sold him into slavery and faked his death. But God meant it for good. Sometimes bad things are going to happen to us that God has the intent that it will turn out for good, either for me, either for you who are experiencing the bad or evil thing. It could be good for you in the future. It could be good for somebody else. We have a very narrow, short time frame where we examine evil that crops up in our lives. We do. We don't have the long-term view the wide view that God has. And so when evil is happening to me right now, woe is me. This is awful. Why is this happening to me? God, how could you let this occur to me? We don't realize that next month, next year, 10 years, or in the lives of my children or grandchildren, this thing that seems evil to me, look at what it says right there. God may very well have meant it for good, either for me in the future, or my children or grandchildren, or my neighbors, or someone. God has the longer-term view. We should not be too quick to judge God when things happen to us that appear to be evil, that appear to be evil. We're also told in Deuteronomy 17, skipping again further in the history of God's people, Moses in re 
repeating the law to the children of Israel before they go across over into the promised land. Some of the things that, that Moses tells them include this. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death, and after him the hands of all the people. So you shall put away the evil from among you. When someone has violated one of God's laws that in this time frame, under the law as the people were under then, had a sentence of death, and some things did, you can read about it in the law in the Old Testament, then the first person involved, the person closest to the offense, is the first against him to put him to death. And then the other people join in. Why? Is it to extract vengeance? Is it to do something? He did evil, she did evil, so we're going to do evil back to them. No, God says here, you shall put away the evil from among them. For one thing, you are eliminating, they were eliminating the individual who had done this evil among the people. And it also gives an example. My actions have consequences. Perhaps to my family, certainly to me. And so actions have consequences. A great example to see in that sense, whoa, this happened to Johnny over here. I should certainly think, twice or three times before I decide to do what I want to do if it's going to violate what God has said. That reference occurs ten times. Put away the evil from among you. In all of those verses in Deuteronomy that are shown on the screen as well as over in Judges chapter 20, ten different times the phrase is used, put away the evil from among you. Over in the New Testament, Come out from among them, in 2 Corinthians 6. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. God wants his people to have nothing to do with evil. To have nothing to do with evil. And yet, as we're growing up, and sometimes as we are over into adulthood, rather than trying to stay away from evil, there are so many people I've seen throughout the years that seem to want to find out where's the good evil happening so I can get over there and have some fun. That's an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. There is no good evil. But so often, instead of running away from evil, we want to run to it where the party is happening. God wants his people to have nothing to do with evil. Another phrase occurs throughout the much of the Old Testament, evil in the sight of the Lord, starting in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, served the Baals. These are, uh, the Baal is, is a, the idol of the Canaanites, and the serving of the Baals, the serving of the Baals, depending on how you want to pronounce that, involved being immoral. The God and goddesses of the peoples of the land of Israel who were not Jewish. And, and we're all focused on the fertility of the land and the fertility of the people. And as such, the worship of these false gods, these idols, involved being in, in, in activities related to fertility, what we call immorality. Everybody here should understand what I'm talking about. And when they are engaging in those activities... It says the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. I think it's stated that way to make sure we don't ever 
think that we can do evil that is not in the sight of the Lord. Right? Whenever we choose to live for ourselves, whenever we choose to do evil, it is always in the sight of the Lord. Nothing is hidden from his view. No matter what, how light or dark it is, no matter whether it's four in the morning or whatever, every single time we choose to do evil, it is always in the sight of the Lord. That phrase occurs seven separate times in the book of Judges. The people over and over and over again chose to do what they wanted to do and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here's a danger so far of what we've been talking about. We may look and say, well, look at these foolish people in the past who did this. How dumb they were. Why am I saying that's a danger? Because we're not really any different collectively from them. And remember, each and every one of us at some point have decided to do what we wanted to do, and that means we did evil in the sight of the Lord. Hopefully, we're not doing it over and over and over again, but don't look at things recorded in the Bible in the past and say, kind of like the, the, the tax collector, I'm so glad I'm not like those people, because that's a false view. Don't, that's a trap. Don't fall into that. Evil in the sight of the Lord also occurs throughout the lives of the kings in the history of God's people. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 6, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live on the earth apart from Jesus, did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Apparently he wasn't as smart as we might have thought he was. Or being smart does not protect us from living for ourselves and falling victim to temptation doing what we want to do. Did evil in the sight of the Lord occurs all of those times in the lives of the kings? If you go to every one of these references and it's on the handout for you uh, here this morning, every single one of those references talks about did evil in the sight of the Lord. Look them up. Over and over and over again, the kings did evil in the sight of the Lord 29 times. 29 times. Is it any wonder God's patience eventually ran out and destroyed his people? The kingdom in the north disappeared from the face of history. The kingdom in the south, the kingdom of Judah, was carried away to captivity and only a small number of them ever actually returned. Doing evil in the sight of the Lord does not lead to good outcomes. In the Psalms and the Proverbs, we hear these kinds of admonitions. Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. It doesn't have to be actions. So many times it's firing off something out of our mouth, giving lip, right, that can be something very evil, tearing down somebody else, speaking evil about somebody once they're out of earshot. Guess what? You're never out of earshot of God. If you can't, what, what, what our mothers usually tell us when we were young, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. No. Moms can be wrong on some things, but they're absolutely correct when it comes to that. Psalm 34, 14, the next verse, we read, Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Back to Carol's lesson today. 
One of the questions at the end of the lesson were, were verses about uh, following after peace. You need to leave evil behind and look for the good. Rather than getting in the Uber or the Lyft or taking the bus to where the evil's occurring so we can be a big part of it, run away from it. Run away from it. Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament to flee youthful lusts. Rather than seeking them out, run away from it. Seek peace and pursue it. Two verses later. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. That certainly happened to the northern kingdom in the history of the land of Israel. They disappeared. Where did the tribe of Naphtali go? No one knows. They disappeared off the face of the earth. And since God knows when I do evil, you can't hide. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. From Proverbs chapter 6, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. If God hates it, I really want to pay attention to it. You know, I'm not, I don't want to categorize or rank sins or anything. God doesn't like it anytime we do something he's told us not to do. But there are some things that apparently are so irritating to God that he specifically has said, I hate these. <laughs> I'm paying real close attention to the stuff that God hates and stay as far away from this as possible. So what does God in Proverbs here say that he hates? These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to it. A proud look. I really think that's the smug look of I'm better than you. And then it probably doesn't have to be a look. It can be the thought. When you're with someone and maybe there's a difference in Income level, well, maybe there's a difference in circumstances. If the thought occurs to you or occurs to me, I'm better than that person. Bingo. Right there. We talked about the tax collector and, and the Pharisee in the temple praying, one of the parables of Jesus. The Pharisee prayed, you know, God, I'm thankful I'm not like this tax collector over here. Bingo. A lying tongue, speaking things that are not true, whether directly to someone or speaking things from a slanderous perspective when they're not around. You're not seeking peace and pursuing peace if falsehoods are coming out of our mouths. Hands that shed innocent blood, I mean, that was pretty obvious. Uh, anger and, and, and violence that can lead to loss of life. A heart that devises wicked plans. I would suggest there, if your heart is set on devising something wicked that you end up doing, or that maybe you even hand off to someone else. When I was younger, and yes, it was when I was younger, that second aspect of that usually applied to me. I would come up with the harebrained crazy prank, and I'd encourage my brother to do it. Why? Because he was the one likely to get caught. And so, but I was just as guilty, wasn't I? You know, whether it was knocking on somebody's door and running away, whatever it may be. Why don't you go knock on the, the, the Williams's door? That's what we're talking about. Now, I don't know that that as a, as a kid or even as a young adolescent is particularly, you know, wicked plans. As it certainly was annoying to the people that go to the door and nobody was there. But it doesn't matter whether you carry them out or it gets handed off. 
your heart is focused on something that's wicked or evil rather than focused on the good. Feet that are swift in running to evil. Today you'll have to run to it. You might take again that ride share or the bus or whatever it may be. There's evil going on and I want to be a part of it. Where's your heart? If that is describing you or me. A false witness who speaks lies. Going back again. That's twice really a lying tongue has shown up in this list of seven. And one who sows discord among brothers. If you've got a family get together, whether it's brothers, brothers and sisters, or sisters, whatever it may be, if I'm causing stress and strife among the family, that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing. There's enough things that can cause stress and strife in a family without having to set something up. Right? Without having to set something up. Look at this next one. Jesus is talking about evil in Luke chapter 11, 13. If you then, being evil, and he's talking to us here, if you then who have done some good things, but each of us have done something evil, if we understand right and wrong, but we still know how to give good, give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, or give good things to those who ask of Him? The comparison is, is really not even hard to make, right? Typically, we, even though we may do things that we want to do, do things of living for ourselves and some things living for God, we still typically treat our children very nicely. We still try to give good things to them. Here, have this little Johnny. I mean, maybe it's a little cookie. Probably not giving them some rotted mouse from the backyard. I mean, you know, see what I mean? Giving a good thing. We, we tend to try to be really nice and loving to members of our family, how much more, how much more will God give good things to those who ask of him? And of course, the answer to that is a whole lot more, not even to be compared. Look at Paul in Romans 12. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't put on a show of pretending to love. Let love be real. Really be concerned about other people. Be concerned about family. Be concerned about neighbors. Sincerely, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Remember, we talked about those that had feet that were swift to run to evil. We should be running away from evil. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Same chapter, repay no one evil for evil. Boy, you know, I pick on Thurl. We know he's on the front row. It's easy to pick on Thurl. Thurl did something evil to me. Boy, just wait. You know, revenge. Vengeance belongs to God if it's going to come at all. Don't repay anyone evil for something evil they have done to you. Don't do it. It's such an easy thing to feel like I need to do. Don't do it. And my wife will fuss at me for picking on Thurl, so I need to find someone else to tell you to pick on. She's shaking her head yes, and he's shaking his head no. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Learn how to get along with everyone. Don't ever turn evil to evil. If someone that does something evil to you, let it go. Just let it go. And then, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The way to respond when somebody does something evil to you is to do something good for them. You know, if you give a cup of cold water to an enemy, it shames the enemy. It's really hard to stay angry or evil uh, in action with someone when they're doing nothing to me. 
comes back to. James in James chapter 1 verse 17 he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This idea of variation or shadow to change is the idea of a sundial. Every day outside, things change. If we had a sundial in the parking lot, the shadow moves, right? You see that walking, and the shadow changes during the day. There's constant change in the world. There is no change with God. God is always the same, and he always wants to give good gifts to those who ask him. Every good gift comes down from above. The love that we have for each other came from God. Came from God. Why would you take something that came from God and replace it with something that comes from the evil one? So in summary, the best gift of all is the one that God gave for each one of us. John 3, 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not be lost, but have eternal life. With God in control, and he is, no member of his family should ever fear him. Evil is in the hearts of people because God is not in the hearts of if you're a member of God's family, there's nothing to fear. Period. Period. So the last slide. We are to run away from evil and overcome it. Most of the evil that we fear is not real. Most of the things that we worry about is never going to happen. Unfortunately, most evil results from the lack of God in the lives of other people. So, in the life of me, What's the best way to reduce the amount of evil in the world? Talk more about Jesus. Talk more about Jesus. But what have we done with the evil in our lives? If you are not yet a member of God's family, evil is still in control of your life. It is an either-or situation. If you're not a member of God's family, you may do something good, but evil is still what's in control because by definition, God is not in your life and ruling your life and in your heart. The time to change that, if that describes you, is today. If you are a member of God's family, then we need to put the evil away. We can't be running toward the evil, we can't be cherishing the evil, the evil needs to disappear. So my encouragement today, the invitation today is that if there's any way that we can help you, any need at all, then please come as we stand.